Welcome to Elixir Wizards, a podcast brought to you by SmartLogic, a custom web and mobile development shop based in Baltimore. My name is Alex Hausen, and I'll be your host. I'm joined by my co-host, Sundi Mian. Hey, Sundi, what's up? Hello. As well as my producer, Bonnie Lander. This season's theme is Impact of Elixir, and we're joined today by a very special guest, Brooklyn Myers. Welcome to the podcast, Brooklyn. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's great to have you here. So you mentioned that you want to talk about Surface, but I also have a, a fun question for you before we that came up today at work, and it's, what word do you constantly misspell? It used to be color for a long time because I grew up as a kid putting in the U, but then I started programming it. So technically speaking, I always misspell color because I spell it the wrong way in Canada. So, and I don't know what the right way is anymore. It's a point of confusion. Also, I've been working on a feature with the word assessment, which has way too many S's. Oh my God. Every time you ask yourself, is there two S's? The answer is always yes, which is insane. So those are the two. That's how I feel about questionnaire. Oh yeah. The Mm -hmm. color one's interesting because I feel like you're technically also spelling it correctly both ways also. This is the dilemma. This is... Who's right? Exactly. I mean... I code, so I have to spell it with an O, but I'm Canadian, so I'm not representing my country. And I've actually seen it spelt the Canadian way in a code base before, and I felt angry, and I don't know why. (laughs) It was a conflict between national pride and, like, this is wrong, you shouldn't do this. I feel the same about behavior. With mocks specifically, I can't spell it without the U now in my regular life. And so I am also in a conundrum as an American. (laughs) I had a job where a committee was spelled wrong in a few places. It was spelled with three M's and it always really threw me off because I would be looking for it. And I'm like, why can't I find the piece that I'm looking for? Oh, it's in the area where it's spelled wrong. Whatever. Spelling is hard, everybody. I don't believe you're talking to any spelling bee champions here, but I may be wrong. I don't know. Back to what we're supposed to be talking about, though, Brooklyn. (laughs) You are very passionate about Surface. Could you tell us a little bit about where that passion comes from? comes from familiarity, honestly. I think that Elixir has been working on extending more branches to different communities. And so my background primarily is from JavaScript and React. And when I jumped into Elixir, I was in love with pretty much everything. The only thing that I wasn't in love with was the templating language and writing what felt like very raw HTML, didn't have a lot of like reusable components. And that was really my background. So Surface came in and said, hey, remember all of that cool stuff you're super used to and have a bunch of patterns built up for? Here you go. And it just created this branch as as someone who has that background to write code the way that I want to write code. We have a note here that you're thinking about that as like a bridge to the community. Is that something that you're thinking that Surface can can bring to Elixir in the sense that like increase Elixir adoption or just make exactly. it easier for people? Okay, cool. Exactly. I want to see more ways to bring people into Elixir. So my whole thing is trying to help newbies adopt Elixir, either people who are new to the language or who are new to programming in general. So the more things we can do that make it feel familiar like lots of people have talked about how Ruby and Ruby on Rails, there's tons of parallels back and forth between Ruby and Elixir. So it makes it feel very comfortable. So adding this in so that people who are more comfortable with React and more comfortable from that background can come into the community. I I think that's great. Yeah. Going from a a one job that was like Node and React and then getting a next job that was in Elixir was definitely a big 
mind shift, even though I enjoyed it. But there were no real good tools to like kind of help me along that journey, I guess. I don't know. Brooklyn, how'd you find Elixir in general? I fell in love with the readability. It felt very well-reasoned. It felt like a language that had put a lot of thought into it. Whereas JavaScript, I don't think people feel that way necessarily. It feels kind of ad hoc and all over the place, which frankly is something I love about JavaScript too. Like I know it's very popular to kind of hate on JavaScript and to be fair for good reason, but I love JavaScript. It's what got me into programming in general and it's it's where my roots were. So I love feeling like, hey, I can do whatever the heck I want, even if it's terrible. Whereas Elixir is a bit more like, hey, here's maybe a good way of doing this. So it's a bit more restrictive, but it is restrictive in a good way, as well as like testing. That was really the big thing that drew me to Elixir was coming from JavaScript, coming from mobile development. Testing was always a struggle. There's tons of different libraries to do it. You have to add it on to what you're doing. It's kind of an afterthought as opposed to built directly in. Figuring out how do you test something is just always painful. It literally took, I think, weeks on a previous project to set up an end-to-end testing system with React Native with Detox. Whereas with Elixir, it took me like a day to figure out Wallaby. It was like, wow, okay, this is cool. This is powerful. So the ease of testing has been amazing. Just the difference in time alone, just like a couple weeks, just slogging away, just beating your head against the computer. We've all been there and it does stink. Developer tooling is truly a powerful motivator for whether you want to do something or not. It's such such a true story there. I'm also really curious. So were you just like Googling like best programming languages or programming languages that are not JavaScript? Or I don't know. What, how did you like find it? I'm sure I've Googled good languages that are not JavaScript before. <laughs> no, so I got into Elixir because of a very good friend. This very good friend is actually the person who got me into programming. And I knew how passionate and interested in Elixir they were. And I always respected their opinions. And so it was something I really wanted to check out. And so when I got an opportunity to actually work with it professionally, I was like, all right, you know, got to jump on this because I know how cool they've said it is. And I really want to give it more of a shot. And like the few spare moments that I could spend kind of checking it out. It really looked cool, but you know, you really have to try something in a professional environment before I think you've given it enough of a shot to know if it's actually something that you enjoy. So this person who got you into programming, was that like in college or did you have another, were you in another field before? So I was working a terrible minimum wage job before I got into programming. I was selling computers. I was very lost in life. I just kind of come out of high school and was really desperate for some sort of career path. But I came from a household who had struggled with student loan debt. And so I was terrified, like beyond reason terrified of getting myself into a bunch of debt for a career that there's really no guarantee you're actually going to enjoy. You can take a four or five, six year program and end up saying, oh, I actually hate this. I don't want to do it, but now I'm thousands of dollars in debt. So I knew that whatever I was going to do needed to be debt-free. It needed to be something that I could teach myself how to do. And so this friend who, I hope it's okay, I'm just going to say his name, Jonathan Stanson has been like an absolute hero to me for for my entire life. So you know, I have to share some appreciation for him. We love a shout out. And 
he started by sending me a Udemy course, actually. Uh, it was this like complete web developer course that I started going through, started just getting interested in. I was a terrible employee selling computers, and I would literally sneak away onto the computers to do either programming challenges or preparing for Dungeons and Dragons. And then I would work about 20% of the time that I was there, 80% of my time was that. Completely fell in love with the process of, huh, I wonder if I can do that. And then figuring it out in the code. And I would literally, I remember like, lift my arms up shouting for joy, just like, yes, I got that done. And that feedback cycle of identify a problem, figure out a problem, I just completely fell in love with. And yeah, eventually that led to deciding, you know what, I can no longer keep practicing this in my spare hours. I'm not really making enough progress. So decided to go through the Cord Core boot camp route, and which eventually they became a college. So I think I'm allowed to say that I went to college. That's, that's kind of how I view it. So, you know, I've, I've been to college, everyone. Yeah. And then that led to actually getting a job with the same person who got me into programming. And, you know, that has led to everything I've done since then. That's a, such a lovely story. Do you think that passion of problem solving is what keeps you doing what you're doing today? Yeah, absolutely. Pretty much everything I do, I start by asking the question like, huh, you know, that might be kind of fun. You know, maybe that would be fun. And then just giving it a try and continuously motivated by, you know, there's a new, I'm very inspired by anime. I grew up watching those like, you know, power animes and stuff where it's the one character who's like, I must get stronger. And to me, software has just been that process, but in real life. And you constantly look at yourself and go, oh man, like there's a new challenge. It's so much more intimidating than anything I've faced before. And then you figure it out. You're like, oh my gosh. And then you're re-reminded oh, hey, the ocean's a lot bigger than you think. There are bigger fish here. And you're just constantly going through this process of there's something, there's some new challenge, something harder, something on the horizon. And yeah, I've really fallen in love with that. I think that for people who know you in the community, we can definitely say that your passion comes through the internet. We feel it. To frame it for our audience, you have, you know, on Twitter, you go through, you review blog posts and talks, books, you make Twitter threads, tweet threads? How do we refer to this? Um, and tweet tweets. And, you know, for people who maybe don't have time to go through something themselves, you do like a really lovely summary of all of these amazing projects. And that's just really cool. And then you also have a podcast, Lookster Newbie. I just have to say, super excited for every time I see something from you. Really appreciate what you do there because I definitely am not somebody who has a lot of time to go through things. I also was very excited. Just going to slip this in here that today you did a little summary of my talk. So thank you for that one. <laughs> it deserved it. That was such a cool talk. Thanks. I loved it. <laughs> I, um, I had this little moment earlier where I was like, okay, we're going to talk to Brooklyn later. Then I saw the tweet. I was like, oh my gosh, am I famous? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that was so cool. So thank you. But yeah, I want to hear about the, your podcast too, Elixir Newbie. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah. Elixir Newbie was started on a total whim. And it, pretty much everything I do is, like I said, just started with that thought of, you know what, that might be fun. Let's give that a shot. And I'm very inspired by people like Ken C. Dodds, who talk about, one, the power of learn by teaching. And so pretty much everything I do is just saying, hey, I want to learn this. Okay, I've started to learn that. Why don't I summarize that and give it to other people? And so the podcast has been a way of doing that. The Twitter summaries have been a way of doing that. And you know, I kind of view it as we are all 
scaling this ginormous mountain that has no end. There is no top, but there's certainly stops along the way. And we can all kind of look back and try to make the handholds more obvious as we're climbing. And so started Elixir Newbie as a way to summarize and share what I was learning and try to help other people get into it and also document the experience of getting into Elixir. Like I am an Elixir newbie as well. I've only been doing this since last June, I think, is when I really started going hard on Elixir. And so it's been this way to share that experience, share that process. It's led to meeting people who I would have never otherwise have gotten to interact with and to be able to help them along their journeys and, and share my stumblings and you know where I go wrong so that other people can go right and where I go right so that other people can follow. And mm-hmm, that's where it's come from. At what point did you decide, like, I'm going to turn this idea, I want to have this community of Elixir newbies, I want to help other people, I want them to help me. At what point did you say, I'm going to make this a podcast? That is a great question because it's been a process of continuously reacting to what's happening and trying out new things. I literally, for the very first episode of, well, I should say the secret pilot episode that no one will ever see because it's terrible. The secret pilot episode of Elixir Newbie was literally me turning on a microphone and talking into it for an hour with no plan, no idea what I was going to say, just let's talk for an hour. And then I showed that to some friends and they gave helpful feedback. They were like, maybe don't talk about this completely unrelated stuff. You talked about tacos for an unreasonably long amount of time, <laughs> which happens. And Are you actually talking about us? Because I think we did that on our episode <laughs> really? of the season with Angel. We talked about tacos for the first like, I didn't, 15 I minutes. Honestly, yeah. that is some weird mental connection stuff there. I genuinely <laughs> did not know that. I, I've been listening to Elixir Wizards. I, I love everything that you guys do. But like I said, I'm, I'm new to the community. So there's only so much that I've seen. That is wild. Well, it came episode. out today. On the day of recording, it came out today. So <laughs> no that harm no harm there. Messaging right there. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, I've completely lost my place now that I'm thinking about tacos. I, I'm, ah, as I one 100% does. forget what we were talking about. But we love a secret pilot episode. That's It's a fun time. <laughs> I'll maybe release that like in 10 years to let people know like, hey, here's how bad your first thing is going to be. Most of what you do will not feel good and just do it. You know, that's really been the whole thing is I just started recording. You know, I kept continuously following the process of, okay, well, let's record it. Okay, find a program that does that. Okay, now I have this recording. Let's edit it. Okay, now it has less ums and ahs. All right, I need to figure out how to like put this on a place. All right, you know, put it onto Spotify and then... I was engaging with people on Twitter and they were like, hey, I'd love to have it on all of these different platforms. So, all right, cool. I'll go and figure out how to do that and just continuously react to what's working and what's happening. There was never a grand vision. Everything I do is unplanned and ad hoc and just in response to what works and what doesn't. And I've just been continuously following that. I like this reminder, this idea that like you show your mistakes because a lot of the times when you, you know, you, you recognize this now as, as a content creators is what you're doing essentially with the podcast and what we do too. It's nice to remind people that yes, you make mistakes just because you're at the forefront of things doesn't mean the thing that you said in the last episode or in your last blog, your last blog post is like concrete. It reminds me of a comic I saw on Twitter, I think yesterday, it was like two people staring at a UI and they were like, looks like we made a poor decision with this. And then the person they're talking to says, no, 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 we made a good decision. The outcome was poor. There were many unknowns and we decided based on what we knew, never judge a decision by its outcome. And I was just like, 
this is like a hug. This is a hug in comic format. And I think that's really what you were saying just now is just like, I should release this in 10 years. Like, you can release it tomorrow <laughs> if you wanted to. Embrace your failures. Yeah. Or not even really your failures. Just like your awkward first pilot episode. Yeah. I mean, keep it if you want, but I'm just saying. Like, now you're making just, me you want to publish know. it, but it is terrible. But hey, maybe that'd be useful for some people. The worst thing like, that was to start a podcast. You know, no, you never exactly. know. You know, it is okay to put something out and have it be bad. And that's okay. And the worst thing that's going to happen at least this was what I was thinking in my mind putting it out because I was terrified to hit that publish button for the very first time. The worst thing that's going to happen is people don't like it and no one listens to it. It's not like a million people are going to listen to something that's terrible. And so that's okay. Just just try it. See what happens and keep it going. Yeah, that reminds me of the first time I ever pushed anything to prod in my life. My tech lead, I was like hovering over the enter button. My tech lead was like, Sunday, you're not launching a rocket. And I said, oh, yeah, you're right. And then I hit enter, you know? (laughs) It is nerve-wracking, though. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's also something we talked a little bit about, I think, on a few episodes last season about just, like, learning to embrace your failures and also embracing the failures of those who might look up to you, who you might mentor. And it was right about the time that the whole, like, HBO email intern debacle happened. It's just a good reminder in general that it's okay to fail. I love that. I'm very inspired by a quote, which is, it's not your job to judge yourself. Other people will do that for you. And you don't need to critically analyze everything that you can do. You can put things out and just, you know, I love this story. I forget where I got it. It's probably from the book Atomic Habit Change, which is taking it from another story. Everything is just stories on stories, but it's the story of this teacher who was teaching pottery and she decides to attempt this experiment where she takes her class and splits it into two. And she says to one side of the class, you're going to be marked on how good of a pot you can make. You know, you only have to make one, but I'll grade it on its quality. And then the other side of the class, she says, you will uh, be graded on how many pots you make. doesn't matter if they're terrible, just make as many pots as you can. And what winds up happening in the story is that the class, the side of the class that was just making as many pots as they could without even worrying about quality, not only made more pots, but actually wound up with a far better pot by the end of it. Because naturally, as you go through, if you're just producing lots and lots and lots, you're going to improve and you're going to get better. And you can also stop that perfectionist mentality that will just keep you second guessing and keep you going, is this good enough? Is this good enough? And you'll just learn and you'll naturally get better and then you'll produce something better. So if you're ever struggling with perfectionism, that I find is a good thing to keep in the back of your mind is, hey, this is a way to circumvent that that perfectionist side that can come out sometimes. I worked somewhere once where our tagline or our motto was, don't let done be the enemy of shipped. We shipped often and it was usually fine. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Also like fine is fine. Mm -hmm. Everything will never be perfect. Yeah. Also a good thing to remember. Life is not perfect. It's fun, though, to like hear about the way you think about learning and improving yourself and improving upon the way you get information. I actually, once I started seeing your Twitter threads, once I started seeing them, I started taking notes this way. Like when I was running into 
a pair programming session or if I was like watching a video, I'm not very good at intaking the information. I've been working on how to improve my learning and taking notes in small blurbs like that is actually helpful. I just don't tweet them because I'm not like confident in them maybe, or maybe I like want to make them pretty later. I usually just do it in Notion, but I started like actually capturing notes and then it makes it way easier to turn it into something else later. The recent blog post I just posted about filtering in Phoenix was that in the beginning, it was notes on filtering in Phoenix that I didn't really understand. And then just little by little it built up. And so I actually took like maybe eight months to write that, but not because it took me eight months to write it. It's just that it was just my notes notebook for a while. How do both of you decide what blurbs to write? Like it could be really easy if you're watching some type of tutorial video to just like keep typing, right? You're like, I'm just going to stream of consciousness, write everything that I'm hearing. What makes you go ding? That's something I need to write down. So the way that I go about it is when you're first intaking something, I'm writing down pretty much as much information as I pick up. You can't prejudge, is this going to be useful? So you're just as fast as your hands can move, you know, taking it down. And I'm not an expert on meta learning or anything like that. But the things that I do know are that you want to recall information that's good for your understanding. And ideally, you want to chunk information. So that's why those Twitter summaries are so powerful for me, is it forces me to take an idea and fit it into a single tweet and then make a number of those single tweets. And I try not to make... It shouldn't read like a book. It should read like a bunch of individual ideas that have meaning on their own. And so often it starts with that initial brainstorming phase of just putting everything onto the paper. Then once you have those notes, I'll look at it and go, okay, what here is an individual chunk? And this is where I convert it into a Twitter thread and go through and just chunk it out into individual ideas. What here can I kind of remove? What's not, what's important, but is something that I don't think needs to be summarized as part of it. Obviously, I when I'm you know summarizing a 40-minute talk in 10 tweets, I can't keep everything. So it really forces you to be very critical about what is important here. What are other people going to care about? What will I care about in the long term? And yeah, that's that's the process. So I highly recommend if, if you are considering it Sunday to try out making a tweet summary. It's been and it was motivated by the same thing actually of not being able to absorb content. I would listen to cool podcasts like like this and, and others and and then I would look back and be like, what do I remember about that? Be like, I just spent an hour listening to a podcast. And I remember one word. It was like, that's not enough. And so I decided to try the Twitter summary and I think someone who was kind of a hero to me retweeted the first one. And that gave me the like, oh, this is actually useful for other people, not just me. And then it continued from there. And now I try to do it as much as I can. That's fun. And you do that for books too, right? You're in the Elixir book club? Yep. Yeah. I try to do it for just anything that I'm trying to absorb and learn. I have goldfish memory. I can't remember anything. And so I either put it in my giant collection of notes or I lose it forever. And those are the two options. Are you also face blind? Face blind? Like I can't remember. What is face blind? Face blindness is when you literally cannot remember people's faces. So you might meet somebody like a hundred times. They might be someone you work with and then you run into them on the train and you're like, I don't know who you are by your face. But, but as soon as they tell you your name, you actually would remember them and everything associated. But from the face, it's yeah, it's interesting. I have had that before. I have had that before in a very embarrassing way <laughs> where someone walked up to me and I had 
known them for years previously. And then they told me their name. I'm like, oh, oh, of course. But yeah, absolutely. I've had that happen before. That's happened to me recently, but with people who I haven't seen in like 18 years. And they're like, Alex, hello. Oh my God, how are you? And I'm standing there like, who, who are, are you? you? <laughs> Do I know you? That happens to me in the opposite. Like I have a really weirdly good memory with people and every experience I've ever had with them. So like I definitely ran into an old coworker on a train once, didn't know he had face blindness. I was like, hey, I heard you moved over to this neighborhood. How's the new job? And he was like, who are you? <laughs> that was real fun. So anyways, how do we get on this? <laughs> Goldfish brain. Goldfish brain, I have yes. one small story uh, related to this, and then, and then maybe we can pop off. But I, whenever I have one of these moments, I'm allowed to blame brain damage. I got a concussion in high school and experienced uh, retrograde amnesia and had this experience where I was working a service sales gig. I was an expediter at a restaurant. And this new hire walks in and I just greet her. I'm like, oh, hey, hello. Nice to meet you. I'm Brooklyn. And we're going to be, you know, doing this stuff today. And she looks at me like I'm a crazy person. And I'm like, what's up? And she goes, you trained me all of yesterday. And so I had spent like a six hour shift one on one with this person the entire day before. And it just, no, that doesn't exist. Have no idea what you're talking about. So anytime I have one of those moments, I just go, ah, you know, concussion moment, whatever even though there's no way it, it still is anymore, but it's a fun one. You know, you don't know that maybe it is. I'm wondering if goldfish have face blindness now, like do goldfish not recognize other goldfish, but that's a different podcast in a different day. I think. Yeah. 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 But back to a book club, maybe <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask, like, where do you find the time? Like you're in book club, you have your podcast, you are like, you are tweeting like these great Twitter threads with like small chunks of information. How do you do it? Do you sleep? No. Excellent. We found the answer, everyone. <laughs> no, I find that having times for things, like having regular intervals and scheduling does help me a lot. So knowing that like Monday I do this, Tuesday I do that, and just having these repeated times, as well as, you know, like I said, that focus on whatever you make doesn't have to be perfect. Just get it done. It's okay. Sometimes something that I put out and go, oh, this is total crap. People actually like it. It's like, oh, okay. I just put that out because I knew that I had to do that today. And I even do this with social things, which maybe is going a bit far. But like every Wednesday, I hang out with my dad. And if I'm remote, we'll play video games or whatever. If I'm here, then we will hang out and spend time. I've been getting him into uh, Full Metal Alchemist, which I'm, I finally get, got my dad into anime. I'm really happy about that. And... Yeah. So just having times for things, having blocks. And recently I have been, I've been meaning to talk about this on, on the podcast. Actually, I have been feeling a little bit burnt out. So wanting to kind of take a step back and, you know, there's moments where you go hard and then moments where maybe you dial it back for your own mental health. But yeah, so that's where I've been coming from. Very important to like recognize the signs that you need a break. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely also have the drive to do everything. I love you know, hanging out with people, doing everything, reading every book. I have like four books open <laughs> right now. And I really had to figure out what was important to me and, and trade things out. I decided to to go back to figure skating. You know, it's a sport I did my whole life. And when I decided to go back, I was like, something has to go. And I really had to evaluate everything I was doing. And unfortunately, something I had been volunteering with for a very long time, I decided like I wasn't getting as much value from it anymore. And so I decided to take a step back and, you know, 
That kind of sucks, but I am getting something else from it. I'm, you know, in a different space. It's nice to switch from tech to sport. Sometimes it's just a different headspace. I know Alex has a bunch of crazy hobbies too, that it must be nice to do those and, and get out of that space and do that. So, yeah, it's a good mental switch. I would say, speaking of mental switches, and I don't know what our code word is going to be to make sure you stop, but, (laughs) but finally, I believe, I think it was on your Twitter or maybe your LinkedIn. I'm not sure, but you said you love programming as much as you love Dungeons and Dragons. Yes. So Uh, when did you start playing in Dungeons and Dragons? And then what's your role? Is that right? I've never played. Totally. Well, maybe is it useful for me to just quick blurb, here's what Dungeons and Dragons is. Yes. So Dungeons and Dragons is difficult to explain because it's like nothing that exists. So there's no, oh, it's like a video game. No, it's not. Oh, it's like a board game. No, no, it's not. It is, the way that I try to describe it is, it is a role-playing game where you are playing some sort of role. So the player is like a warrior or a mage or a warlock or something cool like that. And you are experiencing that character. It's like the coolest improv game you'll ever play. And there's one person who is the dungeon master, the game master, depending on what you're playing. There's there's different ways of calling it. But they're kind of like the referee to the world. So they describe the scenery, the events that happen. They play all of the NPCs, so non-playable characters, just anything that you're experiencing in the world that isn't the people who are the players. And so I usually play the dungeon master. And I got into it in about, I want to say 2015-ish because I was doing it when I was working at that computer sales job. And that's, you know, I would sneak in and write all my prep for the games and build the worlds. And and so I got into it because of this awesome podcast, The Adventure Zone. And they, so it's these brothers who play Dungeons and Dragons with their dad. And it's so funny. I would literally be listening to it in the side of the street and just like burst out laughing in front of a bunch of people and <laughs> just have that like, no, no, it's, it's funny. I swear I'm not a lunatic just, just laughing on the side of the street. And it sounded like such a good time that I had to get, they have these starter kits for Dungeons and Dragons. When I started, it was Lost Minds at Vandelver. I think they have a new one out now. That's probably a better way to get into Dungeons and Dragons if, if you're hoping to. And I started by just getting a few of my friends, running a game and absolutely loving it. It was, you know, like whenever you ever you start anything, it, it wasn't great for my first time, but it was a lot of fun. And I think it carries over to a lot of things. It's a weirdly reusable skill being able to improv and make jokes and pretend to be a wizard. Improv is a great skill. Yeah, I took one, sem- like not a semester of improv, but I had to learn improv in high school in drama class. And like that takes you far. And you also said something about being a wizard before we started recording. And I just want to rehash that. Can you repeat what you were saying? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So when I was young, I used to read all these different wizard books. I loved fantasy. And there was actually this specific book that was like how to be a wizard. And it had these little examples of spells that you could cast. It had little phoenix feathers and things like that in it. And it was just like, I love this. And I was like, I want to be a wizard. And the day that I learned that I would never be able to cast fireball, I was livid. I was so upset. I was like, I wanted magic. And so discovering programming for me was the closest thing in the real world that I could do to magic. You know, you have this magical arcane language, you have these incantations that will go and do things. And yeah, so I wanted to be a wizard. So I became a programmer. Programming sounds so much more fun with this. <laughs> with this twist on it. <laughs> Man, I relate to that so, so much. I had a friend when I was young, I think I was maybe 10. And her older sister made us and like 
it was so intricate. Like she dyed paper and tea and sent us fake Hogwarts acceptance letters. And I was so mad. I was like, I know Hogwarts isn't real. I know I will never be magical. And I would like to be. And this is not okay. You were pulling at my heart. <laughs> my owl? Don't you still have that letter? No, that was from a, a weird job thing. No, the letter that I was given when I was 10 is probably like in a box in my house at home somewhere. I'm referencing a, a Hogwarts letter that I'm, I'm remembering Alex having on her desk at some point. <laughs> that was fun. I was the judge of the holiday decorating contest in the office above ours, which I think was Greenpeace. And each like pod decorated their pod and they put on little skits for the holidays. And they were all around a theme. So the theme the year I judged was movies. And the like, I think it was the accounting pod. They always went all hardcore and they had totally transformed their office into Hogwarts. It was great. They gave us little letters. I think they had jello shots, like per the colors of the houses. Very on brand. Love it. Yeah, I think I was talking about ElixirConf. Amos and I were hosting and Amos, me and Sigu were hosting the lightning talks. And before Sigu joined us, I had told Amos, I will host lightning talks with you, but only if someone announces us as a wizard and an outlaw walk into a room. That is what I wanted. That is all I wanted. But then when Sigu joined us, I was like, all right, let's punt it. We can use it later. We never did. Even at the bars. We should have used it at the bar. You know, a wizard and outlaw walk into a bar. But anyways, shout out to Amos. We love Amos. It is, love it is, I, I love that guy. He's he's wonderful. It is my dream to perform a talk wearing a full wizard costume. Ah. <laughs> Specifically. That is like, once I do that, I'm, I'm good. I can retire forever. That's my shining moment. A programming is magic talk for kids. Yeah. Who are yeah. thinking about programming. I Absolutely. I love that. It's a great idea. Yeah. I did a history of emojis talk for middle school age, 11 to 12 year olds, I think. And it was wonderful. And you know, what was really great about that was I actually had done that for adults at a meetup. And I did not change. <laughs> I did not change my presentation one inch. And they got it. You know, it was great. They absorbed the information. So if you're going to deliver that talk in a in a wizard costume, please, please do it. Record it. <laughs> so the whole world can see it's it. It's going to happen. Now that it's been said, it has to happen. Absolutely. We will manifest it into existence. <laughs> Brooklyn, do you think somebody who doesn't like board games would like Dungeons and Dragons? Yes. I have specifically gotten someone into Dungeons and Dragons who said that they were going to hate it, who doesn't like playing games, who like the idea of spontaneous improv was just not something that they were down for. And they got into it, were fantastic with the improv, like had a wonderful time and experience. Uh, You need the right DM. You know, I think Dungeons and Dragons is a game that really... If you have someone who makes it a good experience, it'll be good. If it's not a good experience, it won't be good. And so, yes, I think everyone should try Dungeons and Dragons. If it's not for you, fine. But like many things in life, you should just give it a shot and see if it's something that you enjoy. Because if you do, oh, it opens up worlds. It's just like trying vegetables as a kid. Just got to try it before you know. <laughs> well, that one oh. I'm still not down for, to be honest. No. <laughs> Okay, so rapid change. Just because I really want to give us the time to to talk about this, because I know you'll have some really interesting insight here. You know, this season we're talking about the impact of Elixir, and 
I am just so, because you've had a really interesting path, a really interesting story here. Elixir meant a lot to you. I'm wondering what has the impact of Elixir been on you? Have you seen impact from your podcast and various tweet threads on the community also? Let's start there because there's a lot to unpack here. Absolutely. It's a huge topic. So the community in Elixir has been so profound to me. I think it's this very special thing where because it's not the default path, it's not what you would just fall into for most people. A lot of people decide to be into it because of their interest, their passion for technology, and they're, they're usually motivated. And of course, that's not everyone's story and that's okay, but it draws people who are just very naturally supportive. And I think one of my first experiences in the Elixir community was actually with you, Sunday. It was with you and Jeffrey Matthias at that meetup. And you guys were just so supportive. And I would ask my questions and took the time to answer. And, you know, that was just this like, whoa, this is cool. I really love what's going on here. So to me, it has been very special being able to interact with people in the community, getting to talk about technology who have helped me ramp onto it. I still have lots to learn. I'm really excited to because people have made that just such a fun experience. And so for me, the community around Elixir has been very special. That's so exciting. (laughs) I remember that meetup and thinking like, yeah, you were here, you were new to the meetup and you were asking really good questions. And then I followed you after that. And then I saw all of your great content after and I just assumed I hadn't seen it before because I hadn't followed you before. (laughs) Did not put together that that was a correlation. So that's super cool. Yeah, 100%. I don't think I was even writing. I was writing, but I wasn't doing many of the things that I'm doing now. I was not doing when I first met you. And so, yeah, that was a huge inspiration. Jeffrey has been another person who I'm just very, very grateful for and and has helped me on board has been unbelievably supportive. So Jeffrey is great. He also shout out to Jeffrey for having a treadmill desk, which I believe we talked about before we started recording. But yes, yeah, I have the same treadmill or the one that he wants that everyone at community uses. He recommended it to me and I was like, bought, purchased. (laughs) Fancy, very fancy. Brooklyn, what do you feel like I feel like you have a very particular like personal impact from Elixir. That sentence was wrong, but you know what I mean. How do you feel like like your programming abilities have been impacted by Elixir? We've talked in a couple of recordings about how we feel like we write code differently, maybe better. Object like, you know, it's subjective, but how do you feel about that? Absolutely. I was always somewhat inspired by functional programming without even knowing it, because a lot of the people I knew who were getting into JavaScript already had that background. And so when I transitioned to Elixir, it was like, oh, this is a language that is just built for the stuff we're already trying to do. And it enables that. And it lets you write very, very concise, readable, powerful code. And so... For me, it has enabled me to write code the way that I want to. And it's also enabled me to think about things that I normally honestly wouldn't consider. I like thinking about code as magic. I like having little spells that I can cast, of course, but Elixir is extremely explicit. And it lets you figure out how do all these little details work. And if you want to dive into it, you can. And thinking about being as explicit as possible has been huge. Thinking about processes as well. I honestly programmed for like a year and a half professionally, two years before I was even familiar with the word process. Like in my day job, it just wasn't something that came up a lot. And Elixir, I think, does this fantastic job of 
not forcing you to think about it and know too much all at once and overwhelm you with information, but it does expose those details. If you want to think about processes, you can work with them very directly with gen servers and, you know, being able to, for example, you can write very happy path code in Elixir using with statements and, and handling just here is how things should work. I will put in error handling later and being able to just follow your path and knowing that you're going to come in and, and handle that. So yeah, hopefully that answers the question. Yeah, I think so. Do you feel like Elixir has had an impact on the programming community at large? I think so. I don't know if I'm the right person yet to answer that question because I am so fresh and so new and... So I don't necessarily have that. Yes, I've been watching the community for 10 years and I've seen how it's evolved. And But I do think that it's opening up different ways of thinking about code. And weirdly enough, I feel like Elixir actually captures what object-oriented programming was supposed to be. This idea of sending messages and having different things communicate with each other. And so Elixir is object-oriented in a weird way, in the way that is good. I know maybe that's a, a contentious statement, but it is functional. But it is not strictly functional. It allows you to do things and think about things as boxes and sticks and being able to connect things together and, and have all your message sending. So I think it's bringing people back to what object-oriented was supposed to be. If you could give like one or two things that you feel like Elixir maybe could improve on because nothing, things grow or Things will only grow if you give feedback on it, right? Like things stagnate if you just say it's perfect. So what are some things that you could say that Elixir could do better for better adoption or, or more usage? I think that right now, Elixir, as I understand the background of it, came from a bunch of incredibly smart people trying to do something very specific. So it got this marketing as a niche language as for, you know, there's this weird thing where functional programming is like only for intelligent programmers. And it's like, why? Why does functional programming, why do people think it's harder than object? And so I would love to see more resources given to, and this is where I'm trying to kind of target, that was how I diagnosed the community when I first saw it, was a lot of the resources are built with this expectation that you already understand programming, that you already have a background in something else, and you're coming to Elixir from a different background already. You're not necessarily jumping into it for the first time. And so the way of thinking about that that I, I like to kind of describe it as is you hack your way through this like thick jungle and all these different weeds and it's this like horrible path at your very beginning and then you find out that there's this like paved concrete road that everyone has been using and you're like why was this paved concrete road not extended to the start why did i have to hack my way through the jungle to get here so i would love to see and people are working on these resources so i think it's getting there but and you guys are probably familiar with that Stack Overflow survey that came out. Uh, Elixir developers are, are more highly paid than other developers on average. It, it had a very high salary. But to me, while that's exciting, I think it indicates that we don't have many juniors. And we need to figure out how to open up that area of the community so that people who are brand new can start getting involved. And that's where Elixir Newbie came from. Yeah. Before we got started, Alex asked me about you know, my hot takes with the community. And I was like, oh, we can't talk about it. We can't talk about it. But you just, you basically just touched on it. It's just that, you know, we really, if we want the language to grow, we need to incorporate more juniors. And just in general, like when looking for, for new folks to join our team, consider not just Elixir developers, but developers from other languages and not just Ruby, you know, not just Rails. 
everywhere. You came from JavaScript. So, you know, it doesn't mean it doesn't indicate anything. I also came from JavaScript before working in Elixir. Alex, you too? No, you had some other familiarities. I did some JavaScript. I did some C Sharp. That's about All it. over. All over the place. But still. Yeah. A variety of experiences, I should say. Yeah. I think what you said really resonated with me, Brooklyn, and I know it resonates with Sunday because, I mean, she's written a blog post about this. But my first job in Elixir was truly just a, you seem like a good developer. We think you have the skills to learn this language. You're hired. Great. Which does not always happen. And I think it's probably way more rare than we would like to think. But also my first programming job was truly just like a, you are fresh out of college. You probably know next to nothing because what you learn in college really is not going to prepare you much for what you're going to do in your day job. But you seem like you're capable. And they took a chance and they hired me. And I'm not sure how much that happens anymore. In that way, it was a small company, right, too. It's not... I'm not talking necessarily about the like two year program at big company that then maybe hires you on not saying those are not valuable because I think they are. But I also think we need to be catering to like everybody's comfort level with company sizes and what you're going to be doing. Right. Yeah, I completely agree. And and coming back from that perspective too, like I got lucky. I'm not going to pretend that, oh, I just, you know, I bootstrapped and I worked hard. It's like, yeah, okay. I, I rode the wave of luck to get into this industry, 100%. But like, I got lucky knowing someone, I got lucky that they offered me my first gig. And one of the negative feedback loops that I see in the programming industry, not necessarily exclusive to Elixir, is that a lot of companies want to develop senior-only teams. But the problem is if you don't create that initial ladder, that first rung of the ladder for people to latch on into to get into the industry, you won't have any seniors. And I think you're actually starting to see that. You're seeing that feedback loop take place because everyone's looking for seniors. There's this massive hiring crunch. And if you don't train people to become seniors, well, you don't have any seniors. So that's one thing I I would love to see Elixir putting more resources into is figuring out how do we get new people in? Because that's the only way to keep the ecosystem stable. Yeah. Have you gotten a lot of like some really inspiring positive feedback from people who are in the Elixir newbie community that really like inspire you even days you're feeling burnt out where you're like, yes, this is what I want. 100%. Shout out to Matthew Baker, who reached out randomly on LinkedIn sometime, was also an Elixir newbie, talked about how the podcast had helped him. Uh, Him and I have become friends and I've had him on the podcast. And right now I'm trying to help him get his first Elixir gig. And you know, that's where a lot of my effort is going right now is figuring out, well, how do I help people onboard into Elixir? Uh, I've been doing some kind of side project experiments to figure out how to get more information there. And yeah, he keeps me going. He's made this whole thing very worth it. So thank you to him. Shout out, Matthew. That's great. Yeah, he's wonderful. He's a super wonderful human being. And there's been, you know, I don't have time to list through all the people I love. You know, there's been a lot of love and gratitude getting into this industry. So for all those people, yeah, they've, you know, continued support and have helped out so much. So a huge thank you. If I'm allowed to give one more shout out, I have to thank Keely Doyle. She has nothing to do with Elixir. She's just like my rock, my, you know, whenever I am like stressed out or burnt out, she's just been the person who keeps me going, keeps me healthy, makes me go outside. So makes you eat vegetables. Yeah. Everyone needs like a good friend. Yes. Uh, Yeah. Everyone needs a good friend. Yeah. Everybody needs a good friend who checks in on you. Uh Hello. 
That was really yeah, great, Brooklyn, because it was McDonald's coming from your apartment. You okay? <laughs> I haven't it seen was... the door open in three days. What's going on? Have you showered today? <laughs> I mean, not every day. We won't get into that. That was great, Brooklyn. It was kind of like your like Academy Award speech. Like, I would like to thank the Academy, <laughs> and I really liked it. It was really great. Thank you. <laughs> a lot of love and gratitude. Honestly, it's you know a lot of gratitude. I've I've reached a point in my career where I'm. The best place to be coming from, love and gratitude. Are you thinking about now that you've met a ton of people in the community, are you you hoping, you know, once things open up a little more to get to one of the Elixir conferences? So badly. (laughs) Okay. So badly. I want to eat Pop-Tarts with Amos. Oh. (laughs) So bad. Oh, my God. All of you people, everyone in the community has been just so lovely. So getting to see more than just a face on a screen, I I would love. What's your favorite Pop-Tart flavor? Do you have different ones in Canada? Oh, my God. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if we have different ones in Canada. Just I, name You know you. what? I'm not picky. Give me a Pop-Tart and shove it in my mouth, and I am stoked. <laughs> you want it toasted? Well, this See, this is the thing. thing. It's like when I first heard Amos talking about this, I was like, there are like other ways to make Pop-Tarts? And it's like, <laughs> there, oh, my God, I need to learn. This was their Pop-Tart-Tar episode of Elixir Outlaws, where I was like, did they just name an episode Pop-Tart-Tar? Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I need to learn from the masters. Yes. So it's fun getting to experience new food with people and chatting over food. I think that's like the best way to bond. And then certainly attending talks together and, and running lightning talks together and, and seeing what people create. I mean, seriously, like the lightning talks at Elixir Conf this year, I was just like, did Sophie really just run up there and talk about pasta? Because, oh my gosh, yes. And also, oh my gosh, I'm hungry. <laughs> That was the very first talk I saw when I popped onto the online conference. And I was like, am I in the right place? What? Where am I? Can I actually I? sign up to a pasta conference? <laughs> That's a conference I'll go to any day. Let's go. <laughs> All you can eat and conference are words that really need to go together. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So before I ask you like kind of the final set of things, what's your favorite type of pasta? Not like the preparation. So not like spaghetti bolognese, but like the actual pasta shape. Mine's penne. I like a short pasta. I also like the short pastas. Well, so typically if I'm making it myself, I'm a gnocchi guy. I, I love that gnocchi. You home oh, make I, it? I buy it out of a bag. That's cooking to me is I buy it out of a bag and I heat it. But there's this one place in Burnaby area, which is kind of a side off of Vancouver. And it's called Anton's and it is like the most amazing pasta place. They're known for these giant portions that's just like a plate covered with as much pasta as possible. I love the tortellini there. And if you eat it all, you win a pen. So that to me is like a personal challenge. And so that's truly my favorite pasta of all time is the, you know, whatever it is, white sauce tortellini. Is it a pen for writing or like a pen you put on your shirt? Uh, Pen for writing. Okay. And on specific branded pen. I love that that is the prize. They were like, listen... We got to go minimal here. We can't give people like lifetime supply of pasta. That's going to be too much. A pen. I love that. (laughs) Do you get your picture on a wall? I don't think they do the picture on the wall. Maybe I should just sneak in there one day and put my picture on there. It's like start it and then see if it kind of picks up like, oh, hey, I didn't realize we'd started putting pictures on the wall. All right. Well, all right. You You also you come back a little bit later and you bring them like a little Instax like Polaroid camera. And they're like, when did we get this camera? I, I, this was left at my table. It has your name on it. I, I, you know, it says, please use to take photos of food. I, you know, 
<laughs> Don't know where it came from. I can say that I think we've established that the Elixir community likes food. This is something we all really have in common. Like this is, that sounds like a no brainer, but I definitely have friends who are just like, meh, I'll eat it. And I'm like, why are you like this? <laughs> I have a friend who only eats double bacon cheeseburgers whenever he goes out. That's it. It's like the only food item. And I love him to death, but I don't think he's human. Yeah, I have a chicken tender friend. Same deal. <laughs> Alex is shaking her head so hard. There needs to be like another word for friend that we can use because that just doesn't fit. But. <laughs> There's so much more to life. <laughs> Get the burger that has a, a whole onion ring on it or something. Yeah. Or one that's got a different type of cheese. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Live a little. It does sometimes backfire. Like I love openness to trying things, but I think I had... I don't know if I'm allowed to say like brand names or if that's a problem, but I had a quesadilla burger from the restaurant with a redheaded girl as the uh, logo. Do you guys have that? I assume that's like big in the States, but I, I'm kind of assuming. It rhymes with a Mendy. <laughs> yeah, Mendy's? Exactly. Yeah. It's probably fine to just say it, but it's funnier. Yeah, it's way yeah. funnier. We're, we can totally say it, but it's way funnier. Way funnier to try to skirt it. And it was a quesadilla, like cheese nacho burger. No. And I was starving. We were going to, going to a movie and like, I was like, I need to eat something. And then I see it and I see the words limited time, which is my kryptonite. And I'm like, okay, it looks terrible, but I have to get this. And despite being like on the edge of starvation, I couldn't. I was like, this is, and I don't like throwing away food. That is like a sin to me, but I just couldn't. I forced myself through four bites and I was like, this is awful. This makes me unhappy that food exists and and that's terrible oh that is sad oh no we gotta flip it around to a happier note alex take us away <laughs> that is sad. End on, that. <laughs> on a happier note um i would like to give a shout out to something that has gotten me through quarantine which is the eat the menu series by former buzzfeed employee keith habersberger and he goes to a restaurant and eats everything on the menu he only has to take one bite of everything but he eats everything and he has one where he's like in the back of a van and he eats everything at Wendy's. Great. The you best one personally former. is the one where he goes to a place that rhymes with Golive Arden. <laughs> and it's just so funny. Uh, I'm reeling a little bit that you're telling me a try guy is no longer a Buzzfeed, but all right, let's move on. A different topic, <laughs> a different topic, whatever. Say lovey Brooklyn. Do you have any final plugs asks? Where can people find you on social media? Where can people 100%. find your podcast? Yeah. So if you want to, I'm always open to chatting on Twitter. I'm at Brooklyn J. Myers. If you DM me, I will respond. So I'm always happy to message out. No promises on time sometimes, but you know, as long as you're not rude, I will engage with you and do my best to help. Also creating the elixirnewbie.com website. So www.elixirnewbie.com. That is it. We'll have the podcast and the blog. I'm hoping to also put learning resources on there, you know, time permitting. So that's something I'm hoping to put on there. But by the time you see it, uh, it might just be the podcast and the blog. Yeah. And I've already thanked them. But Jonathan Sanson, you know, thank you so much for giving me my career, for helping me out of the dark place that I was. And you're a beautiful human being. So thank you. Shout out to Jonathan. Also, another great reminder, be nice to people on social media. Be nice, mm. not rude. <laughs> put it on a t-shirt. Well, thank you, Brooklyn, for joining us. This was great. Yeah, thank you. This was tons of fun. So thank you so much. This was incredible. That's it for this episode. Thank you again, Brooklyn Myers, for joining us today. Elixir Wizards is a Smart Logic production. Today's hosts include myself, Alex Hausen, and my co-host, Sandy Miet. 
Our producer is Bonnie Lander, and our executive producer is Rose Burt. We get production and promotion assistance from Michelle McFadden. Here at SmartLogic, we build custom web and mobile software, and we're always looking to take on new projects. We work in Elixir, Rails and React, Kubernetes, and more. If you need a piece of custom software built, hit us up. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a review. Follow at SmartLogic on Twitter for news and episode announcements. You can also join us on the Elixir Wizards Discord. Just head on over to the podcast page to find the link. And don't forget to join us again next week for more on the impact of Elixir. Elixir.